speaking, it was done. Welcome to sermons from St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Minot, North Dakota. St. Paul's is anchored in the message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, for the church and for the world. The following sermon is from Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard. The epistle is from Romans chapters 9 and 10. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. But the Israel who pursued a law and would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they do not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Many years ago, in a Bible study, I read a quote, yes, a quote from an old Missouri Senate Lutheran theologian that went something like this. Even if you were to quit all of your habitual cursing, if you were to quit all your continuous drinking and your unending womanizing, you could still find yourself landing in hell. (laughs) It's a good quote. Now, as I looked up from reading this quote, a long-standing church member turned beet red and was obviously not embarrassed, but agitated. Not just a little bit, but a lot. Very angry. Furthermore, the woman sitting at the same table next to him also shook her head with a great deal of disgust, being agitated as well. As he started to raise his hand, I leaned forward to call on him, but before I could do so, he blurted out, Pastor, are you saying that we do not need to do good works? That good works do not matter? Are you saying that it is okay to sin? Now, unfortunately, these two individuals did not understand what that Missouri Senate Lutheran was saying in that quote. They could not make sense of this comment. And the reason why? The reason why was because they were super-Christians. Now, you heard that correctly. The two individuals sitting at that table weren't ordinary people. No way at all. They weren't even ordinary Christians, but instead, they were super-Christians. Both of them perceived themselves as being the most morally upright and righteous people in the church. They perceived themselves as being great examples, super examples to the rest of the flock. They were not drinkers, they were not sexual deviants, and they weren't foul-mouthed sailors. They dotted their I's, they crossed their T's, they paid their tithes, they did their volunteer service in the church and community, indeed, They were super-Christians. But there was only one problem. The righteousness that they did, the righteousness that they depended upon for eternal life, was not the righteousness of God, but instead it was their 
get this, their own righteousness. In our reading from the epistle of Romans, Paul is clearly demonstrating to us that there are two kinds of righteousness. There's a kind of righteousness that mankind chases after, tries to accomplish, and does by their own willpower. It is an active kind of righteousness, one that a person must accomplish, one that a person must achieve and accumulate for their own worth. And on the other hand, there's a righteousness of God. It's a righteousness belonging to God that is freely bestowed and freely given. Now, one would think that those two people were wonderful moral examples. It'd be easy to come to that conclusion that they were wonderful moral examples for the rest of the church. They were impressively pious, energetic regarding God himself. They had much zeal. However, contrary to all appearances, these two individuals sitting at that table that day, they were doing everything backwards. Indeed, they were doing everything exactly backward. And so while it might be easy to think that they were great examples of Christianity, they were actually, get this, terrible examples of what it looked like to be a Christian. Indeed, you heard that correctly. They were terrible examples of what it looked like to be a Christian. And again, the reason being the righteousness that they depended on was a righteousness that they had established for themselves. As I later came to find out, these two individuals, tragically, tragically, they had no room for the shed blood and the resurrection of Jesus in their version of Christianity. It was a Christless Christianity. You see, any time the free righteousness of God was mentioned, this free gift of God's righteousness bestowed in Christ as a free gift, any time that was mentioned, well, they not only got defensive, but they got downright mean and attacked. They attacked because they did not want to let go of their man-made righteousness. I can remember that lady sitting at the table talking to me later that week and saying something to the effect, Pastor Richard, I have believed the same way for the past 70 plus years and not some young punk pastor is going to tell me otherwise. And then she left the church. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy on all of us. So how can we make sense of all of this? First, let us consider righteousness. What is righteousness? Now, dear friends, we must understand that righteousness is not just avoiding sin. Let me repeat that. Righteousness is not just avoiding sin, but it is also doing good things, thinking good things, doing respectable things, and speaking well, acting in right manner, in thought, word, and deed. And so we could say it this way, avoiding sin is only half of the equation. And so if you and I are successful in not habitually swearing, if we are successful in not continuously drinking, and if we are successful in not being sexual deviants, well then congratulations, you have avoided sin. However, that is all that you have done. You have only avoided evil. In other words, righteousness is not only avoiding evil, indeed, which is good to avoid evil. It's not only avoiding evil, avoiding sin, but it is also being perfect in thought, word, and deed, according to the Ten Commandments. And so, to be righteous, you should not only obviously avoid murder, don't murder, but you should obviously 
uphold life. Do everything possible to the advance of your neighbor's life. To be righteous, you should not only stop gossiping, but also put the best construction on everyone in every situation. To be righteous, you should not only avoid coveting other people's things, but you should also, get this, be 100% content, yes, content with the gifts that God has given you. And so righteousness is not merely avoiding the bad, but it is also doing the good, avoiding bad and doing good as well. And so, back to those two individuals, their pride led them to believe that they were righteous because they avoided certain sins. However, they failed to comprehend that they also needed to act and to think and to talk perfectly as well. Indeed, to talk perfectly as well. Frankly stated, they were fools in thinking that they had a sufficient righteousness before God Almighty. They were fools thinking that their righteousness was complete. Now, secondly, perhaps the most damning thing about their theology, the most damning thing about their theology was that their righteousness was not being done for their neighbor in need. In other words, since all of their efforts were to establish their own righteousness, all the evil that they avoided and all the good that they did was not for the sake of blessing their neighbor in need, but it was, get this, to prop themselves up before God Almighty. In fact, their righteousness was done with a great zeal so that everyone else around them could see how great they actually were. They were doing good works to prop themselves up, to build their spiritual resumes, if you will. Their righteousness was me-centered. As we heard in last week's sermon, we should take note of this, their story, it should actually be a warning to us, as we heard last week, their story, their situation should not cause us ourselves to rise above in arrogance and pride over them, but instead it should be a story that drives us to prayer, drives us to repentance, saying this, Lord, protect us from setting up our own me-centered righteousness. Lord, protect us from our arrogance and pride and not submitting to your righteousness. Baptized saints, the Apostle Paul is clear in our epistle reading this morning. Salvation and righteousness are God's business. Jesus Christ not only avoided all the pitfalls of sin in this world, but also loved perfectly in thought and word and deed, making him the epitome, yes, the epitome of righteousness. And so righteousness, we could say, is found in Christ. And not only is it found in Christ, but it is also, God be praised, given to you and me as a gift for Christ's sake. And so properly speaking, righteousness is not established by you and me, but it is established by Christ, Jesus himself. Righteousness is not obtained by us successfully striving after because we cannot do it perfectly, but instead, righteousness is obtained by us receiving it by faith as it's given as a sheer gift to you and me. And so, simply stated, we could say that righteousness is not me-centered, Righteousness is Christ-centered. Righteousness is not man-made, but it is God-given. 
But again, what about those two individuals, those, those questions that were raised by those individuals, those two individuals that day? If righteousness does not depend on you and me, do we need to do good works at all? Do good works even matter? Are we saying that we're free to sin? Baptized saints, some 500 years ago, Martin Luther correctly stated, he said this, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. One more time, listen carefully. God does not need your works, but your neighbor does. Oh, how we should print this saying to Martin Luther on a big banner and post it here in the church, or perhaps maybe on the outside of the church. God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. Indeed, God does not need your righteousness to satisfy his justice or earn his favor. And the reason why, and that reason why is because Christ, Christ has already done that for you. Christ has already secured God's favor toward you. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you even anymore. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. You are already completely and totally loved and accepted and forgiven by God for Christ's sake. All that Christ has done for you in his life and his death and his resurrection is personally given to you in his word and his blessed sacraments. And so, mark this, when you are plunged into the mighty waters of baptism, when you hear those powerful words of absolution, and when you eat and drink from this table, you have God's complete and total righteousness given to you. Nothing else is needed. Nothing else is needed before God Almighty. God does not need your righteousness, but your neighbor does. And so, baptized saints, think of it this way. Because of Jesus, you don't have to spend all of your time establishing your righteousness for your salvation. Because of Jesus, you do not have to be narcissistically consumed with me-centered spirituality. Because of Christ and his righteousness that is freely given to poor, miserable sinners such as you and me, we are actually set free to serve our neighbors. Any righteousness that we get to say, think, and do it is for our neighbor, our neighbor in need. Think of it this way. Because we have vertically received the righteousness of Christ as a sheer gift, our good works can take on a horizontal focus. Because we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, well, we are free from always focusing on ourselves, always focusing on our accomplishments and what others think of what other people think of us and what other people think of us. We're free to do something actually useful for our neighbor in need. And so if there's any huffing and puffing over righteousness here at St. Paul's, well, it shouldn't be for God or for your personal gain, but it can be for one another. It can be for your brothers and sisters here in this sanctuary, in this parish. And furthermore, it can be for our neighbor down the street here in the city of Minot. Righteousness. It is not man-made. It is not me-centered. It is God-given. And it has been given to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with thine own.
Thank you for listening to today's podcast sermon. You can access a full manuscript of today's sermon from Pastor Matthew Richard's blog at www.pastormattrichard.org or visit St. Paul's website at www.stpaulsminot.org. The Lord bless and keep you.